Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away. When his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings, do you see all these things? he asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, 
you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He ends Matthew 24, the 14 verses that complete the chapter with impressing upon them the need to be ready as well as being faithful. And then he goes into more parables in chapter 25 on the need to be ready. And then he gives details of Judgment Day when God divides the sheep from the goats. Last Sunday we spoke from Matthew 25 on the subject entitled How to Live in Light of Judgment Day. The Lord willing, we will conclude uh, today's talk with talking about how to live in light of the last days. But first of all, let's talk about our text. He was asked three questions at the beginning of this chapter. When will these things be? The disciples asked him. What will be the sign of your coming? and of the end of the age. Some people believe he asked two questions. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? But I think a good case can be made. All translations pretty much render it like this. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world or of the end of the world as we know it? None of them translated what is the sign of your coming at the end of the age. So it's, I believe an argument can be made that it's two different questions. At least Christ, I believe, interpreted as such. And he answered these questions. Most questions answer six possible things, unless they're rhetorical questions or, or one or more of these. And they answer who or what or where or why, when or how. These three questions are when and what. When will, be, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? When and what? Um, and I think it's important to notice the word what, because a lot of people have taken the words of Jesus and tried to apply a when, and they've been wrong every time when they said a day. All right. When will these things be? Let's tackle this question. First of all, look at the question. These things referred to his words earlier. Look at the text. Verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. The day before he said this was Palm Sunday, when he had cleansed the temple. And they were admiring the beauty of this structure that possibly could have been called one of the ancient wonders of the world at that time. It was the third version of the temple. Solomon's temple was destroyed. Zerubbabel's temple was destroyed. And here they are in what's called Herod the Great's temple. And Jesus is predicting its destruction. So when they say, when will these things be? I believe they're referring to that. In the previous chapter, I mean, just before he said this, standing in the temple, looking at the city, he said these words in Matthew 23. He ends that chapter with these words. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets 
and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Destruction is coming, is what he's implying. On the day before, Luke records in Luke 19, verse 41, before he goes in, he's ridden into the, the city of Jerusalem on a donkey triumphantly. And before he goes into the temple to cleanse it, he declares these words. As he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. In other words, I believe you're blinded to who I am. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because they rejected the Messiah, Old Testament style judgment was coming their way. Christ predicted it. So this happened on Palm Sunday and then on the next day, each day up until Passover, he was in the temple, stirring them up, man, declaring truths they didn't like. So I believe it was, these were the things he was talking about, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And so in answering that question, I believe he gives these details. But before I get into that, I want to just look at Matthew 24 as a whole, if you have it there. I believe they ask him three questions. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? and of the end. I believe verses 4 through 14, he gives details about the end, the end of the age. So he starts with their last question. And then, I believe verses 15 to 22, he goes to the top. He starts with their first question. And then verses 23 to 37, I believe he answers the second question. So the first question is answered, I believe, verses 15 to 22. When will these things be? He gives these details. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, abomination infers idolatry, desolation infers destruction. When you see abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now that parenthetical statement is there for a reason because a lot of people have all kinds of theories. Some pretty far out stuff. But we need to be humble in our understanding. So the things I'm sharing with you today I share from a position of humility. If you've got a better perspective, by all means share it with me. But hear me out. Verse 16. <clears throat> then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So when you see this fulfillment of something Daniel spoke about, an abomination of desolation in the holy place. Those of you who are in Judea, which includes Jerusalem, get out of Dodge. Get out of here. He had said in Luke 19, you know, on Palm Sunday before cleansing the temple, that when you that, that embankments were going to be built around the city, that they were going to be surrounded, and everything's going to be leveled. So he's saying here that when you see the abomination of desolation. Get out of Dodge. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Their houses had stairs. 
going up the side of them, not the inside, but outside the house, and their rooftop was a place they could go, like their patio up on top. And so if you saw something up there, just get out and don't even go get your stuff. Just run. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So this is serious. When you see signs of this thing happening, leave. It's recorded historically that around 68 AD, Titus and his Roman armies began to surround Jerusalem and lay siege to it. And believers got out. And none of them were killed. The city got trashed in 70 AD. He warned when these things would be, he continues, for then there will be great tribulation for such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. But unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The Jewish people are still with us today because at some point, the destruction stopped. There have been other attempts to destroy the Jewish people. They've experienced great suffering in the throughout history. But at some point, there's a, there's a stop put to it. And the nation of Israel exists today because of a stop put to the destruction of their people. For the sake of the elect, for the sake of those whom God has chosen. He chose them because he made a promise to their forefather. Just like if you make a promise to take care of your neighbor's kids in case he dies, and you do it, it's not because those kids are worthy. It's because you made a promise to your dad. God made a promise to Abraham. And the chosen people are chosen people because Abraham had a covenant with you. So he warned them these things would be. And when they start happening, get out. Because it's going to be horrible. Josephus wrote about how horrible it was. Do some research. Check out how bad was 70 AD. Uh, back to Daniel. When Daniel wrote the abomination of desolation... He talked about something where in the holy place it would be just horrible. Destruction and blasphemous. And Antiochus Epiphanes between Daniel and Jesus came along and destroyed. They slaughtered pigs. They destroyed the place. It was horrible. So I believe what Jesus is implying. When you see similar things happening, get out. Don't, don't resist. Don't fool around. Get out. Destruction is coming. He warned his people Today, in Jerusalem, the only thing that remains of the temple of Herod is the foundation. Now, standing above the foundation is the place where the temple was. And so Christ standing there on the temple ground says, you see all these stones? None of them are going to be left upon another. And none of them are there. None of them are, are leaning on each other even. But below where he stood, the stones are still there. And the one place the Jews can go worship that's related to where the temple was is this wall where the foundation was called the Wailing Wall. And there's some tunnels underneath it as well where they go and, and insert written prayers in the cracks between the rocks and pray and honor the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is all that's left. And you want to talk about an abomination of desolation? Can I just be frank here? 
I'm Alan, but I'll be frank right now. <laughs> there are two mosques on the Temple Mount. Two. I was there, I thought there was only one. There's two. The well-known one is the Dome of the Rock. And on the entrances to the Dome of the Rock are marble slabs. You know, beautiful marble slabs. But the one main entrance that we saw when we came up the stairs to the Dome of the Rock had on either side of the entrance, in the grain of the marble, not made by man, just nature itself, were demonic-like images on either side of this mosque. We asked the guide about it, and he said, yes. The Muslims say, yes, those are demons. Because Satan tried to get Abraham to sacrifice Ishmael. So there still remains of what I call an abomination of desolation. <laughs> it's not the time, it's just, just the after effect of this prophecy is still with us today. <laughs> next, uh, next question. What will be the sign of your coming? You told him he was leaving so, and he was going to come back. Well, when are you going to come back? What's the sign? Not when, but what will be the sign of your coming? First thing he did was he told them when he's, what's not going to be the sign. <clears throat> Verse 23, that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So you're not going to Jamestown, Indiana, or Seoul, Korea. He's not going to be a geographical Jesus anymore. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning, here's the sign, <laughs> told him what's not going to be the sign, now here's the sign. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. You ever see buzzards circling? When you see them circling, you know there's, there's either a carcass or there's fixed to be a carcass. They're a sign. And so the sign is in the heavens. And when you see the Son of Man come in the heavens, that's the sign. He spoke about the sign being the sign of the Son of Man. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, he continues in verse 29, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other. Now he already referred to Daniel once. And this term, son of man, is a name that he applied to himself quite often. And it's a fulfillment, I believe, of a messianic prophecy given in Daniel chapter 7. 
and your rights. Verse 13, I saw in the night vision, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. This is what Christ is coming back to do, to establish his kingdom. I thought his kingdom was here. It is, but yet it's coming. It's here in part. As we submit to his will, his kingdom increases. Yet, there's a hope of even a better manifestation of his kingdom when he literally comes back. He gave us assurance of his coming. He said, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch is already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, the things he's spoken about in the previous 33 verses, know that it is near at the doors. As surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So this generation, I believe, is in reference to the sign of his coming. Not in reference to the first question. Because the first question was answered almost 2,000 years ago. What I believe. Anyway. And so, here is a generation that's going to see some amazing things. And I believe we're living in the last days. And it was the last days in his time. How is that possible? Well, if you had a pie and half of it was eaten, would the other half of your pie be the last of the pie? It's the remaining days. Well, if Christ came with the last days, this is the last of the last days. <laughs> Rest assured, heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not pass away. These things will come to pass. Now, he answered, he answered a question that wasn't asked, and that was the when question. I think prophetically he knew we would be asking. He goes on in verse 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. They did not know when judgment would come. So they went about their day. Just having a good time living life. You know, all the primitive cultures in the world are being researched through a ministry headed up by Brother Wiles, the well-known primitive cultures of the world, all have a story of the flood. Very interesting. A documentary will be coming out in a few years sharing these various stories of the flood. If the flood happened, it makes sense. They all would have one because we're all the descendants of that. So the return of Christ is something that's important to all the cultures of the world. They need to remember the flood happened Fires <laughs> Some people forget that he said no one knows the day of the hour, and they think they do. Look at this billboard. Save the day, return of Christ, May 21st, 2011. We can know dot com. I really like this billboard. That was awkward. No one knows the day or the hour. <laughs> 
Now this question of the end of the age. This is where I believe he started talking. He started where they ended and then back up to the beginning. That's what I believe. His first answers address the start of the end. When's the end of the age? You know, what is the end of the age? What's the sign of the end of the age? He gave him signs that's the signs of the start of the end. Verses 4. He said, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must, can we say must? Must. Must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Can we say not yet? Not yet. <clears throat> I shared this joke with the first service and then learned that I'd actually shared it last Sunday. <laughs> I don't think I shared it in the second service. Two Cajun preachers, did I share this one? No. Boudreaux and Thibodeau had churches across the road from each other. And one day they put up a sign together, and this sign said, The end is near. Turn around before too late. About that time, a convertible drove by, and the driver yelled at them, You guys are religious fanatics and nuts. And he sped off, disappeared around the corner. Suddenly, there was a screech of brakes and a giant slash. <laughs> at that point, Boudreaux turned to Thibodeau and said, You reckon the signs would just say bridges out? <laughs> <laughs> against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We're seeing that in our day. Countries fighting against each other. Kingdoms against each other. And the word nation is the word ethnos. Ethnic group will rise against ethnic groups. So even within kingdoms, races are fighting. Even bikers aren't getting along. There was another biker shooting. Uh, gang, gang shoot up in Denver at, at a biker convention in the city canceled the convention today. It's over. You all are done in Denver. There'll be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. People forget this is the beginning of stuff. Now, what are we supposed to do in reference to this? Store up food and water? Well, that could be wise and whatever your comfort level is. But I, I think we can't stop there. There's somebody we can help. Somebody we can show the love of God to that's in need. So it's not just about storing up for me, but there, there's opportunities right now to help people. 40% of the world doesn't have clean drinking water. Jesus predicted their suffering before the end. And we're Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You want to offend people? Just bring up the name of Jesus. You can say any other deity, but Jesus' name is highly offensive to people. <clears throat> then many will be offended. You ever seen a day and time where so many people are offended? This whole political correct movement in our culture is about trying not to offend everybody. 
Because people are so easily offended. And will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Are you saying, brother, so-and-so is a false prophet? Well, if he's deceived, he's going to deceive people. Maybe your favorite author was a great guy, but if he falls off the truth wagon, stop following him. Unsubscribe to his podcast. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. When is the end? He doesn't say. No one knows the day or the hour. Endure in me. It's happening in our day. Persecution isn't coming. Persecution is here. These are our brothers, copy Christians, about to be beheaded. So this is a life or death thing. If you face death, will you will it? Or will you stand strong? Valentine Fiontech has preached here twice. He's a pastor in Odessa, Ukraine, before communism tumbling down, he was in the Red Army in Moscow and they found out he was a believer put him in prison in Siberia and one day he was approached by authorities with a briefcase they sat him down at a table opened the briefcase and it was full of syringes and said these can kill you and we are going to kill you unless you recant your faith he said at that point it was like he was covered with
of God and invite them to, to kingdom events. But here's what has to happen. Here's what he said will happen. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. I don't believe he's talking about satellite. Let me just say that. I don't believe that. I believe he's talking about disciples in shoe leather making disciples. Or patent. Or barefooted. I was in a church service in Houston years ago and the service was being beamed to the world via satellite. We're fulfilling Matthew 24, 14, given the offering. They literally said these words, let's finance the return of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was 1982. Lord, forgive us. If this was a refrigerator magnet, I would have it on my fridge. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. There's some in this room that may be called into world missions. You may be called to be a Bible translator. I understand in the next 20 years or so, translation work will have begun on all the remaining languages that do not have their own scriptures in their own language. Maybe calling you to do some unusual things. Think outside the box. Go outside the traditions of your family. <coughs> See the kingdom of God spread through the preaching of the gospel. Ray Lowry's coming to the Metroplex. Harvest America event. Chris Tomlin, Lecrae, Switchflip, Mercy Me. What? At the AT Stadium. Five Sundays from today it's happening. Hmm. In your bulletin is a promotional bookmark about this. It has the details, doesn't have the time, time is 530. And on the back of this is a prayer part, a prayer reminder to pray for this event. And to pray about who you might invite. We have an information table for Harvest America out here on my left, your right, just outside those doors full of all kinds of material that you can give to people and invite them. Think of five people, family, friend, <coughs> neighbor, co-worker, or somebody else, a complete stranger, and write their name down and begin to pray for them. Keep, keep this somewhere handy, like in your Bible or, or on your dashboard. Remember to pray for them. And copy their names down on this little tear-off tab at the, at the bottom and give us this, these names so we can pray for them here. And put them at the uh, offering box at the door before you leave. The Lord gives you who you're to invite to this. Seriously, consider participating. I believe that all roads lead to God. I don't care if you're a believer, if you're an agnostic, if you're an atheist, whatever your lifestyle, I believe whatever road you're on, you will get to God one day. And you will stand before God one day. All roads lead to God. But only one road leads to heaven, and that's the road through Jesus Christ. It's incredible. I was born and raised here, so I've been giving Pastor Lori and everybody a hard time for a few years. Like, you've got to come to Dallas, got to come to Dallas. And the fact that believers are coming together with the same agenda just to, to make Christ the center of attention and, 
man, if we can get the message across and people understanding who they are in Christ, then uh, I think the two most important things the church can remember is who they are in Christ and how grace got them there. And that's all that Pastor Greg's about. And so it's just, we're just, we're excited to be a part of all of this. Greg Glory gives an awesome message and God works through those messages. He rocks. I think he's just spot on with everything he talks about and just wanting to win people to Christ. That's what it's all about. We can just bring our friends and family who don't really know about Jesus Christ. There's so much negative going on and you got the news, you got, you know, media. We need some form of something positive. God can help us through the tough times when things are tough and he's all we need. Thousands of people are in this stadium. Thousands and thousands more are watching online and they're watching on television and listening on radio. But I want you to know something. Right now, Jesus, he sees you. He doesn't see a crowd. He sees you. And he cares about you. And he loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave an invitation to come down on the field. I looked at my bride and I told her, I said, I'm going down there. And I got up and I went. And then I think, I don't know, about halfway down the stairs, I realized she was behind me. Take out the word world and put your name in there. For God so loved Josh. For God so loved Tiffany. For God so loved Greg. For God so loved Mary. For God so loved you. He loved you and he loves you. I saw people going down onto the field and I turned to my dad just to look at him. And I remember tears going down his face. And I've only seen my dad cry twice in my life. He's a Vietnam vet. He never cried. But I remember just praying to God saying, God help me stop doing the things I know that are wrong, Lord. And if you can help me, Lord, to, to forgive my dad, he came into my life and it was uh, radical. God loves you right now as you are, but he doesn't want to leave you the way that you are. He wants to change you tonight and he can and he will make you an altogether different person. The scripture says, seek the Lord while he may be found. From that point on, my, my life changed completely and I always draw back on this experience. Uh, it changed my life forever. We're both on the field. I remember just burying my face in her back. She was standing in front of me and I was just burying my face in her back and I was weeping and weeping. Something's changed and God showed me in that moment, your dad's a changed man. I'm real and you need me. I said my dad and I said, dad, would you go down on the field with me? And he said, of course. I got saved here. My sister got saved here. My brother rededicated his life here. The Harvest Crusade makes a difference in people's lives. Thank you for the, the faithfulness to the call because it does make a difference. The greatest moment in my life was that August at a Harvest Crusade, the first one, 25 years ago. God talks about giving you second and third chances. He's literally given me a 100 chances. And I'm so grateful. I just, I'm so grateful. One day, one church, one message. Harvest America, March 6th at AT&T Stadium. Message by Greg Laurie. Music by Chris Tomlin, Lecrae, Switchfoot, and Mercy Me. Today's text started with three questions. I'd like to end the sermon with one question. That question is why has Christ not returned yet? Why is it not the end yet? Why are we not in heaven yet? Why are we here to endure to the end? Just to endure? So purpose. There's one thing we're called to that we will not do in heaven. And that is be a witness. Evangelism. 
we still here? It's time that we are busy with our powers, our Father's business. In Matthew 25, Christ gives two parables. One points to the importance of being ready. The other one important points to the importance of being faithful with the opportunities given to us. And it's the parable of the talents. One, one servant was given five. A talent is a form of, of currency, a form of exchange worth a lot of money. One was given two and one was given one. The one given five took advantage of the opportunity given him, invested it, and doubled the amount that he had. The one with two did the same thing. The one given one opportunity, one talent, didn't do anything with it. He just kept it the same. The master returned, asked for an accounting of his servants, and told the one with only one that he was wicked and he was lazy. And punished him and took the talent he had and gave it to the one. Then he talks about judgment day when God divides a sheep from the goats. And the sheep are those who feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, and visit those who are in prison and those who are sick, and give clothing to the naked. Those that see needs as opportunities to show the love of God. And Jesus says, come, come into the Reward that is given you. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And the sheep will say, Lord, when did we see you like this? And he'll say, as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. What are we doing to be evangelistic? Are we looking down our noses on people at need? Well, they're in that condition because they caused it. Maybe they did. But isn't mercy an expression of the kingdom of God? What can we do to show his mercy? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd make us more evangelistic than ever before as individuals. Lord, that we wouldn't look to a big name evangelist to do our job. But Lord, we would step up to the plate and do what's given to us. Lord, maybe we're, not, maybe we're not a great glory. We haven't been given the talents that he has. But Lord, we have been given opportunities. Lord, may we exercise the faith, the authority, the gifts that you have given us for the purpose of your kingdom to see it advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I pray that this word has comforted the disturbed and disturbed the comfort. Take that bookmark and do something with it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord God Almighty cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may He enable you to not be deceived and not be troubled and to be able to endure hardships to the very end of need be. And to do your part, our part, my part, to see the gospel of the kingdom preached in all the world as a witness. And then the end shall come. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, world-changing tigers.